Hello, hello, and welcome back to All Plotted Out, a My Little Pony Friendship is Magic podcast where we're working our way through the later seasons of the show, episode by episode. Because, you know, I think they deserve it. My name is Pornhart, that's P-A-W-N Hart, I thank you very much. And today we're on to episodes 7 and 8 of season 8. Horseplay, nice pun, and the parent map. Okay, pun. I would like to apologise again to early listeners of the 30th episode. I recorded the previous two episodes in batch, so I'm only getting round to this now. I realised there was an issue with the encoding on Spotify, which cut off the final mailbag bit of the episode. But as, you know, I rarely get any... I thought I threw you in the recycling. Post? Post? Post by what appears to be an actual human being? What have we got here? Well, I'm making an envelope sound. It's an email. This is from Mosquito Mario. And it says, We need your urgent attention for notice about your consignment abandoned contact inspector Mosquito Mario via email. So, yeah, Mosquito, thank you for getting in touch with the show. Uh, I am going to respond to this because uh, I've made the mistake of assuming this stuff is spam before. And if it is urgent attention for notice about your consignment abandoned contact inspector, then I really should respond to this. Oh, and I've won an iPhone 14. Wow, that's really kind of you. Info PZLUQIH at yipfuktukaputulukaputulukaputulukaputulukaputulukaputulukaputulukaputulukaputulukaputulukaputulukaputulukaputulukaputulukaputulukaputulukaputulukaputulukaputulukaputulukaputulukaputulukaputulukaput
Let us know who your favourites are out of the main six. My order probably goes from best to worst. Rarity, Fluttershy, Pinky, Twilight, Applejack and Dashy. But it changes constantly. And my favourite in the show altogether is probably the baddest in the game, Starlight Glimmer. Keep up with the show and let us know if you're going to do any Equestria Girls stuff or not. Barely a bloke. Thank you so much for that. It's the kind of email I look forward to receiving. Nice constructive criticism. And yeah, it's always flattering to have people listening to and reacting to the show. It, it's really welcome. I mean, I've already, I realise I've already responded to some of these in email form, but for the sake of the listeners at home, I will give some responses here. Yeah, a perfect pair. Oh, I, I still feel bad about giving that a six, but I, I don't dislike the episode. I just don't get the degree of reverence for it. And that's, that's important. I don't get the degree of reverence for it. Hey. Mean it's not worth the reverence. Uh, it just doesn't click with me. And um, I find the way that the, the relationship is written to be really kind of hackneyed. And I'm like, well, this show is usually a bit better at rounding out new characters than that, I feel. But look, I am glad that the show hits a lot of people the way it was intended to. And William Shatner is, is great in it. So, hey. Yeah. In terms of episodes like 28 Pranks Later, etc., you probably grasped that uh, there are certain aspects of episodes that are just going to turn me off. Particularly, as I've said numerous times, uh, when a story has taken precedence over the, the characters and there really hasn't been any effort to try and fit the characters organically around it it's like oh you know it's like a one gag script um and not much more than that is what i felt for 28 pranks later a kid might really enjoy that i don't know i don't you know have a child's perspective on this show and it is a shortcoming i grant you for a show aimed at this audience i'm not going to pretend i enjoy it one of the great things about this show is there's an awful lot of it i genuinely enjoy and i'm engaged by while it stays within the confines of a lowest possible guidance rating children's television show. I think what bothers me more than the warping in itself is that this often seems to be the result of somebody who doesn't really have much passion for the show. Because I think there is a lot of passion for the show by the people who make it. And perhaps sometimes it, it does manifest in them taking the themes outside the sort of traditional comfort area of a show for young kids. Uh, I don't think it's ever going to be entirely alienating, though. I mean, I, I can't think of many episodes that are like, I don't know, kinder. <laughs> Have you ever seen the Doctor Who story, Kinder? It's uh, abstract, to say the least, and I think pretty pretentious, in all honesty. I used to think, you know, I used to be a bit of a champion for that episode, um, but it's it fails so badly in its mark as actually providing basic entertainment for children. I'm not even sure if that story provides basic entertainment for most adults, to be honest. So, however significant the themes are, um, there is a fundamental failure there. But I do very much grant that sometimes the things that I really love about certain episodes might not be that appealing to the original target demographic of the show. And this is something that does need to be acknowledged by both me and by general fans, I think, a lot of the time. I try to keep a mindful eye on that one episode uh, that's coming up today, actually. Um, I, I, th I think there is a question of, of who it's aimed at. But yeah, you're right. 
there's, there is some fun stuff in Buckball season. Uh, and yeah, I did completely neglect to mention uh, the Fluttershy dressing up as a posh pony thing in Viva Las Pegasus. I got kind of wrapped up in, in my issues with the episode. That That is a cool little bit of business there, but it's not enough to really change my feelings about that episode, which I think is a bit of a, a damp squib on the whole. Yeah, it may seem like I go into too much detail, absurd detail about um, these episodes, but I think that is simply because it is worth it. I, I don't, I wouldn't do this for I think any other kids show. Um, I'll be honest, I, I didn't really grow up with a lot of kids telly. Um, my general viewing preferences now are, well, what would be considered in the more adult line. I probably watch some very dry, dramatic stuff. But I, uh, what really buoyed me to do this when I came back round to re-watching the show is that it, it is actually better than I remembered it being at the time. Especially these later seasons, which kind of were a nice bit of background noise, almost. And I don't think I appreciated just how high the general quality level was. You put in Rarity at number one in your pony list. Rarity is a character that has had the most sort of unimpeded upward trajectory for me. Um, I couldn't stand her the first few episodes when I first saw season one. Uh, then Suited for Success, one of my favourite episodes of the show, still really sort of changed my understanding of the character. And uh, I liked her after that point. But more and more, as I've revisited these later seasons, she's had so many good episodes, and she's depicted in the later shows as, as so admirable in her balancing of sort of business and passion. She's a great character, and it has become harder and harder for me to actually work out who my favourite is. Starlight Glimmer. I'm so glad she is getting love these days, a lot of love, because she's great. She was a really sound introduction to the show. Equestria Girls, if I am just following my original trajectory of doing My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, to the end of Season 9, uh, and then that's the, the end of the show, then no, probably not. However, if I do decide that I really need to go back to the start, or if for some reason there's a an unforeseen torrent of fan mail asking for me to continue... <laughs> unforeseen being the, the dominant word there, then if I'm starting from the beginning, I think I will. Because especially those first couple of movies, they're actually an important informing part of the of the Friendship is Magic story. And even beyond that, I mean, the first movie is a really significant uh, factor behind the scenes around uh, season three. I mean, it, it's, it's pretty much Equestria Girls that's the reason why season three was curtailed. So yeah, thank you, Barely a Bloke. That was an awesome email. Uh, I, I really appreciate you listening to the show and writing in. It's what it's all about. Quiet! So anyway, yes, episodes. <laughs> Put away my bag prop now. Horseplay first aired April the 28th, 2018, and was written by Kaita Mpambara. My apologies if I'm mispronouncing the name. Who is new to the show, but will write a couple more episodes before the series is out. The episode gets a pretty nice 8.1 aggregate on IMDb, where the synopsis reads, Princess Celestia's dream of being in a play is fulfilled when Twilight casts her in one. 
but realises that her talents lie elsewhere. Nice solid summation of the episode. Really nice for a first-time writer for the show to be picking up on character development like this. We've got Twilight, who by the end is still getting herself worked up into a lather, but it's far more slow-burning and she's far more confident in her own convictions, especially when standing against the assertions of Celestia when she feels she might know a little better. Celestia herself says, are you sure this is wise about casting her in the play? And uh, Twilight quite logically says, well, you'll be playing yourself and we can help you. And a similar thing is done with Fluttershy, who is the narrator for the play. She starts off by saying, well, once you get over the, the awful crippling stage fright, it's all right. It's all right. She's been through this before. The writer knows. And so she knows she can do it. But as happens with us all, if little spanners are thrown into the expectations here and there, we will wobble, as does happen with Fluttershy. Start off by saying this is solid character work all round in this episode, especially coming from a first-time writer. I mean, yeah, Applejack is leaning very overtly into the honesty, honesty, honesty thing, but yeah, it's not our character, is it? And the Spike and Twilight dynamic has now been honed to perfection, I think. Spike, the sort of crude but wise advisor to Twilight by this point, is nicely weighing up the pros and cons in a, in a very immature way. It's part of his charm. He's, he's very intelligent. He's good counsel, but he still talks a bit like a kid, so it doesn't always come out in the most sensitive manner. Did I mention that I love Spike? Yeah, the only exception to this is Starlight, who, it's easy to forget, is still a relatively new addition to the show, and she's had a number of slightly differing depictions, not just because she started off as the villain, and obviously that, that got smoothed as we went into season seven, but also other writers have a slightly different take on her. And I do question slightly why she would be so anxious about being in front of Celestia when she has been so bold in front of Celestia in the past. I mean, thinking specifically of a royal problem. It's entirely possible this was written before that even aired, though, so... <laughs> Who knows? It is time for a new day in Equestria. Um, what? It's just really nice to see Nicole Oliver being given a, a lead part in an episode, which is one of the first times that's been done, and also being allowed to show such a range. I mean, this is most explicitly shown with her different readings of the same line in, in different voices. Muted, deadened, loud, overexcited. It's, it's a fun performance, and you can tell both Nicole was having fun with it, and the animators were bringing out this sort of giddy, filly quality in her. It's, it's fun, and it's a nice depiction of the character. I could argue about how direct and vulnerable the upset she shows over, over Twilight's perceived betrayal is, uh, for such a, an experienced and, and seasoned character. But it emotionally makes sense. And as, I'm, as I'll say again in the next episode, there is nothing wrong with 
a show like this, especially one that has to deliver something in a really short span of time for a younger audience, taking emotional elements and just making them a little bit bigger and a little more direct. Tara Strong also given plenty to do here as Twilight. Lots of range, lots of funny lines. And that is really the core of this episode. It is fun. It is funny. It is really well-timed. Now, I went a little bit to town on how stodgy the pacing and comic timing was in Surf and or Turf. Completely the opposite here. If you want an example of a really snappily pitched and paced episode, this is about as good as it gets in that regard. It is really funny. All of the cast have something to do, including a really cute, albeit silent, appearance from the young six. And even they get some neat little character details, like Gallus and Silverstream sort of looking at each other out the corner of their eye to see if they're both still pretending to be dead. There are some genuinely laugh-out-loud moments in this. Again, enhanced by the timing. How many times has Celestia helped us, guided us, been a warm, calming voice over our shoulder? Twilight. Ah! It surprises me how much this show can make me laugh. The Trixie after image from her dodgy fireworks as well. Just the fireworks themselves is like a Trixie character moment, even though she's not in the episode. They don't work the way they're supposed to be. They are somehow spectacular and calamitous at the same time, but they end with this self-aggrandizing image. (laughs) Good news, free food. And it's one of those episodes that just plots its elements and intertwines its different threads really effectively. Because you not only have the the escalation of Twilight thinking it's more important to to deny to herself and Celestia, on understandable grounds, the reality of the situation, you also get a nice little conclusion of the escalating Pinky making a sun gag. It starts with a disco ball, then it's a balloon, then it's that insane fireworks monstrosity. And finally, of course, Celestia playing to her strengths. It is Celestia raising the sun. It's nice, it's neat, it's cute, it works. And it ends with a nice little turnaround, proving that Princess Celestia is still a bit of a prankster. I can't help but think that her gotcha is a deliberate writerly allusion back to a bird in the hoof in season one with the uh, the tea pouring scene. It's just really nice to see Celestia fleshed out like this and be reminded that she could be really sweetly innocent herself from time to time in a way that surprises the main cast. You could argue that the finale is a little over-explained, where they're saying like, oh no, in all of the excitement, we forgot that we don't have a son. Ah, I can deal with that. But it, you know, it works. It's fine. Just be honest with them. I'm sure they'll understand where you're coming from. This is very much one of those episodes that's not going to blow your mind. It's not going to, with the possible exception of Celestia, really give you much extra to chew on. But it doesn't matter. This is such a fun, breezy, enjoyable, smiling episode. Uh, Yeah, I I think it's great. Uh, I really like it. I mean, it's really just me being slightly churlish over the uh, starlight glimmer weirdness that uh, I probably am... I don't know. I'm I'm torn here. 
you know, uh, th- th- there are episodes all around it that I think I do like a, a little more or mean a little bit more to me. I mean, this is it's a really, really good uh, introductory script for the show. As mentioned, it's got nice business for all of the characters. This is almost an archetypal MLP episode. If you want an example of a lot of the strengths and the fun energy and the fun characters of the show, uh, on a broader sense, this is just probably as good an example as any. So yeah, 8.5. Really good stuff. It's not over yet. Right, straight into the parent map. Thank you. Can't see this becoming annoying. I think I'm enjoying this more as it goes on, to be honest. It's, it's good. The parent map was first broadcast May the 5th, 2018. It gets a seven point six from IMDb, and the synopsis reads: When Starlight, Glimmer, and Sunburst are called by the Cutie Map to visit their old hometown, they discover that their parents are having a problem. But they discover that it wasn't the problem they had to solve. It's a bit weird. <laughs> I, I think I get what they mean. Now this is how you do a cold open. You have the reintroduction of a character through someone else's reactions to them. In this case, an, an anonymous male stallion. And that's not a doubling up on gender there. I mean, he is delivering the mail. He has a lovely exchange with a random denizen of Cantalot, who gives him a carrot for a tip. Then, seeing his next destination, a sort of familiar-looking wizard-hatted home, he looks in his bag, sees a letter with a, a very regal-looking crest, Rolls his eyes and then walks to the door. And then he knocks on the door. Is it a knock, though? Or is it more of a rap? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Here he goes. Deep type flow. Queen Nova could never get this low. Ah, I'm cherry bombing mares. Boom. Just warming up a little bit. Dave rapping in is what's happening. In, keep the pocket stacked and then hooves clapping in at the party when I move my body. Gotta get up and be somebody. And that somebody is the one, the only Dave Rap. Whew. Don't think we've seen the Rap Master, Dangerous Dave, since season seven. Uh, his last credit being the, the script for Where the Apple Lies, which is a really good, quite underrated Applejack episode. You know, the one where it's the flashback and it reveals why Applejack stopped lying and why Big Mac stopped talking. It's a good one. But, you know, you never know what to expect because he's a sire. He sets the typewriter on fire and his writing styles vary and carry like Mariah. (laughs) Sorry. I'm just sitting here with the lyrics to The Mystery of Chess Boxing by Wu-Tang Clan in front of me. Uh, This is a really good song. Uh, Not for kids, not safe for work. Uh, Oh, goodness, that's just going to lead people right to it, isn't it? Yep, as mentioned, it's a strong intro uh, that ends with a good big laugh. Kind of meta, because he, he, he... Sunburst is more or less talking his way through the plot. 
but he does leave things open. He doesn't say what the cutie mark means, but a reasonably clued in audience will know what the flashing cutie mark means. And he sort of lampshades this at the end by saying, Why am I yelling? Which is actually further referenced in later in the episode when another character says, Why are we whispering? Just a strange, probably deliberate bit of mirroring. I don't know. But it's there. So yeah, premise of the episode. Sunburst of all ponies, so glad to have him back. And Starlight end up getting drawn back to their hometown, where they buck heads with their parents' kind of unchanged attitude to them. I think hashtag relatable might be how I underline this episode. So I might start with a potential criticism. As an adult viewer watching this show, I don't think it is a criticism because I really enjoy this episode. Cats out the bag. Always really liked this one since it was first aired. Uh, I think it's really well observed, faceted, and on the whole quite relatable. So yeah, my, my, my only potential issue with the episode as a whole, at least, is who specifically it is aimed at. I do wonder how much this, I think, quite accurate dynamic issue between the parents and the the fledgling kids is going to be to someone who is about seven. I'm not too up on the exact (laughs) ages that uh, these sort of developmental shifts are generally supposed to happen, but... Perhaps really young kids aren't really going to be aware of this. They're not particularly going to be aware of uh, condescension all that much. I wrote in my notes while I was watching this, at what sort of age do kids become aware of that? I mean, I I can't remember. I I was a kid 87 years ago, so eh. I just remember going straight from playing cricket, listening to big band favourites on the wireless, playing with my small selection of uh, lead Boer War figures. And then, before you knew it, married and in the army by the age of 16. But yeah, this story, if anything, is probably going to be most appealing to people in their teens, or people in their early 20s, perhaps. Or just people who remember this relationship, or even are still having these sort of negotiations with their parents decades into that relationship, because it happens. So let's talk about the parents here. We've got Firelight, which is Starlight's dad, and Stella Flair, Sunburst's mum. Now these are both recognisable parent figures, and they are both caring and stifling and controlling in very different ways. But I think It is a real credit that they remain rounded, believable characters in their own right, and also, I think, remain understandable, even at their more prickly extremes, because they honestly do think they are doing the best for their kids. They're just exerting too much control for this stage in their life. I think it shouldn't be understated, speaking as someone who is not a parent, but somebody who, you know, has, has, has ha- had them. Um, 
that no matter how logical, no matter how compassionate, no matter how self-aware you are as an individual, there's often something, I think, that when your child, regardless of if they're two or if they're 52, is in trouble, that there's a sort of override that can happen there where you will in spite of yourself, desperately try and solve the situation. I've seen it a trillion times, and I think it is understandable. It can be damaging, but the intentions are fundamentally relatable. They're about as fundamental as it gets, to be honest. Now, there's a, a pretty good review on IMDb, the Spotlight review. Um, it's 5 out of 10. It's not overly complimentary i do think it's more successfully balanced than a lot of these things which eh, i'll be honest like the school days example we, we we heard a couple of episodes back they'll find one thing they don't like about the episode and focus on it at the expense of all else uh, this doesn't really happen here one thing that the the author of this review I think is wise to bring up is the thematic similarities with parental guidance from the previous season, which was another episode that dealt with estrangement and difficulties with communicating with your parents. However, I do feel that the writer has taken their fundamental lack of interest in this episode by comparison, which is uh, a a bit less shiny, that sounds really patronising, than parental guidance, um, and, and kind of projected that onto some of the other aspects of the show. I mean, we all do it. If I really, really don't like a lot of things about the episode, I am probably going to over-egg them slightly without knowing it. If I really love aspects of an episode, uh, I will probably overlook some of the flaws just for the bigger picture because they, they, they win, you know. Unfortunately, the larger aspects of an episode will win in my estimation. But yeah, the reviewer for this episode seems to criticise this one for being less mature in its writing of the parental characters, and that they aren't characters you can care about as much. I really strongly disagree with this. Um, One of my criticisms of Parental Glidance at the time, which I think is a really good episode, I love the Rainbow Dash and Scootaloo business in that particularly, and it's an entertaining, funny episode. But my main criticism, I think, was the, the shallow drawing of the parents. They seem to have little or no character that wasn't based around Rainbow Dash, And this wasn't really flagged at all. And so to say that that was better character writing for for parental characters, no. Now, the viewer does point out, and I think there is probably something to this, that the extremes to which these characters go are obnoxious sometimes. I think particularly with Firelight, it can just be too much. But this isn't out of character. This isn't just characters that are simply driving the story. It is putting a spotlight on the fundamental issues here. And again, like with Horseplay, I have no problem with them exaggerating this stuff for the sake of getting the message across quickly, because it works dramatically and it works from a character level. I I didn't understand Rainbow Dash's parents. They were just there as a device. Um, Tell me one thing about any of them other than they like Rainbow Dash. 
uh, here they have their own lives. They, obviously, the father is, is very much into heritage. The mother's a very sort of modern, progressive kind of person. The arguments aren't all about the kids. Uh, the, the kids' stuff is, is built around that. So I just think these are these are just better characters. You don't have to like a character for you to appreciate them as a good character. Sunburst, you should move closer to Ponyville. After this success, I'm sure the Princess of Friendship will want to send you on more missions. That's not really how it works. My particular favourite of the the parent-child exchanges, Stella Flair, projecting her concept of, of the princess and what Sunburst's relationship to her is. Then he gets really wound up in a way that only parents can truly do stammers over his words. He can't get the words out. And so patronisingly, she puts a hoof on his shoulder and says, Use your words, Sunburst. (laughs) And again, it's this wonderful tension between oblivious sort of well-meaningness and the crushing infantilisation, the patronising aspect of it. And uh, I I do like Firelight. I particularly like Starlight's slightly different dynamic. She doesn't let herself become filified, with an F, (laughs) it's a new word, by her father the way Sunburst does by his mum in a lot of ways. I do like the way she uh, speaks to him. However, I think, well, I'm not new in saying this, Stella Flair is kind of a show stealer. Not only the character design, which is unique and awesome, uh, the new facial gestures with her pushing out her overbite in a sort of snooty, self-important manner. Lovely colouring for the character. Just, just, She just looks nice. And a fabulous voice performance. Uh, Trish Pattenden is the name of the voice actor. And she has this lovely, kind of rich, slightly gravelly voice that is just perfect. I'm alarmed that she's, she's, she's not had very much voice acting work. Uh, I don't know why. It's probably a personal choice. Because she's great. I also really like the drawing of Starlight here. Now, Dave Rapp is a vet. He's an experienced pro. Now, he's the OG OC. And he's, you know, worked with... He's worked with Starlight before, you know. They go back like car seats, yeah. But this just seems a a spot-on depiction, again, uh, of my conception of what Starlight is. I mean, she does just generally work best as this outsider who's superficially very self-possessed and willful. But it's partly because she is insecure and she tends to fall between worlds. She's also just impatient. She wants to get out there as quickly as possible. And she's probably more likely to lash out to a damaging effect than than, than other characters. It's a lovely tie-up at the end, uh, with them being able to talk to each other. I, I do love the turnaround where it turns out that it's the parents are the problem. I mean, it's lampshaded a bit by the the sort of Greek chorus response to Starlight and Sunburst working it out of... Uh, That's what all of us think. <laughs> But I understand why they wouldn't have been aware that their relationship with their parents might have been the problem all along. Because you're in it. Sometimes you don't see these things because you're in it. And as is sort of pointed out at the end, you might always see your friend, your parents as potential friends. But 
with a little luck, as you both grow more independent of each other as time goes on, that's, that hopefully is the way it'll go. It's not always the way. There are other things in the way, but in an ideal situation. And what is nice about the two being able to express their actual concerns to each other without flying off the handle is that after that, it's not like everything is fine and they've got a whole new lease on life with their relationship with their parents and they're all chummy. No, the, the sharp edges are still there, but they are slight. They understand each other slightly more. They understand the motivations behind each other's actions. Both the kids appearing to be kind of cluelessly, planlessly flailing about the place and the parents stifling and overpowering the the young adults' potential for self-determination, for making their own decisions. Uh, They can understand these more by episode's end, but that doesn't mean they're not going to fall back into the same things from time to time. And that, 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 that's illustrated through some nice subtle jokes and exchanges at the end. So, yeah, my, my main issue with this episode is theoretical. Stray observations. We get a nice view of Starlight's old room, which is kind of, you know, it's like an emo goth <laughs> synergy. It's got a poster of a, of a, of a stallion in like this leather trench coat with all these like belt buckles and stuff over it. It's it's a bit sort of my chemical romance or something. And there's a a mare above her bed head that has a sort of really sort of scene kid fringe on it as well. It's kind of like the fringe that Starlight used to have uh, when she was a villain. I'm reading far too much into it, but but, but maybe that wasn't some reference to, to Japanese anime tropes maybe it was just because she was like you know proper emo kid no i just i love this view it's just a a nice little bit of detail that shows that she's always been a bit of a rebel always been a bit of an outsider also she's got a skull electric guitar would be nice to see her pick up and play that because weirdly it's only rarity and applejack i believe that we've ever seen playing a guitar possibly spike i don't know I know he's played piano. Anyway. Ah, Sunburst looking at his uh, vacant arm and saying, oh, is that the time? Oh, you can try and outdo the party of one drawn on watch gag, but I'm sorry, you can't match that. That goofy series one gag is still one of my favourite visual gags in the show. And yeah, as I referenced before i think that the background characters although they are pretty much entirely comic relief here just add a bit of extra texture and humor i love the old time baker which is such an unusual stereotype hope you like crust just gnawing on a on a rock solid piece of overcooked bread in the background (laughs) it's just a funny detail in a funny episode just be honest with them I'm sure they'll understand where you're coming from. So, yeah. Banging episode, this. I really do love it. Again, it plays into all of my favourite things. Good character writing. uh, Tension based on escalation of differences between characters. uh, And a nicely tied up ending that's not too neat. You know, it's still a work in progress. Lots of nice bits of humour. And... Sunburst and Starlight being written at their best, I think. 
great performances all round. Couple of smashing new characters, particularly Stella Flair, who is awesome. Yeah, this is really good. Really good episode. Nine. Got any problems, troubles, conundrums, or any other sort of issues, major or minor, that I, as a good friend, could help you solve? Right, time to deal with the results of the first episode poll of season eight. Providing they are different stories and not just a two-parter, I will be putting up a poll for every single instalment of this podcast, asking you to decide which is your favourite of the two episodes we've covered. And you can vote either on Spotify... You'll find it below the episode description or on my Twitter page. Now, because I record these in advance and because at this point the poll for episodes five and six uh, is still ongoing. This is the fixture of the Maud couple versus fake it till you make it. Uh, Kind of inconclusive, oddly. Uh, It seems that on Spotify, people were very much favouring the Maud couple. Uh, And on Twitter, fake it till you make it one out. Um... Well, I think the Maud couple is the more solid episode, in my own opinion. I really like Fake It Till You Make It too. I do have some issues with the uh, the, the logic of, of the story, but it's probably the more memorable of the two. I also gather that um, folk really not a fan of Maud Briar. I mean, yeah, he's supposed to come on as quite obnoxious, but um, yeah, I can understand that. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, uh, I'll be putting these up each episode, so please vote. Yeah, there's going to be a little bit of a break again. Um, Going to take a week off. Uh, Literally, actually, I'm I'm going away on holiday. So it will be a fortnight before uh, we reconvene. But uh, blimey. Now, this is another one of those sort of uh, benchmark episodes coming up. We had the perfect pair last season. I've mentioned that a few times. I know that what I said about it ain't all that popular. I'm wondering if the same will follow for an episode on the other end of the critical spectrum. Because, just checking here. Do-do-do-do-do, IMDB, My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. Yep, this, this, this is the worst rated episode of all time. Um... 4.5, wow. From 355 votes as well. And then there's some schmoopy woo, doopy doo, Big Mac and Sugar Bell stuff. Do I want another Big Mac romantic episode? Not really. But the fans seem to like it. Hmm. So anyway, thank you all so much for joining me. If you would like to contact the show, if you have reactions, insights... Just stuff about your relationship with the show that you want to share. Please send me an email, all plotted out at outlook.com, all one word, all lowercase, all plotted out at outlook.com, or come and join me on Twitter at all plotted out. Yeah, if you do send things through, this is usually recorded uh, in advance. So if you write something in and I respond to it and say it's going to be featured on the show, um, It probably won't be the episode out that week because that's already going to have been in the bag. (laughs) But if you do take the time to get in touch and you've got stuff to say about the show, uh, yeah, chances are I will want to include it. (laughs) It's fun to hear. It's fun to respond to. And it reinforces the fact that this show isn't just existing in a a vacuum with me sitting on a throne saying, well, your favourite episode is rubbish. (laughs) 
<laughs> and that actually do want a bit of back and forth. Also, just, yeah, really nicely fills up the time. So, yeah. Long emails, please. <laughs> but until next time, stay safe, stay well, and if in doubt, use solar power. Ta-ra. Maybe the later books are slightly more realistic than I gave them credit for.